Welcome to Rhythm of Previews, where we check out the preview chapters of Rhythm of War, the fourth Stormlight Archive novel. I am Danielle with the 17th Shard. Hi, I'm Avin. Hello. Hi. So naturally, Rhythm of War spoilers <laughs> ahead. Let's just get into it. What annotations did we get for chapter 16? So, Brendan talked at length, like it was the longest annotation so far, I think, um, about um, how he decides which viewpoint characters to put into the book and generally when to put them into the book. And that's basically what prompted him to do that was that he has been getting a lot of questions about why Adolin or Delena don't get viewpoint or haven't had viewpoints yet. And he simply wanted to address those questions. And what Brenton has noticed uh, is, and which where I, I agree with him, is that for a lot of these very large fantasy epics, they get bogged down in dealing with all the characters brawl because the author wants to start investigating like all the side characters and then all their plot lines. And then rather than following through with, with like the existing plot lines and finishing them, or at least um, bring, uh, moving them along, they start new ones. And so some plot lines don't even get explored in some books. And so Brandon saw, thought he had to limit himself, basically, even for main characters. And he doesn't want full sequence, uh, or yeah, doesn't think it's good to have full sequence for all of the main characters in every part. So instead, he splits it up um, between the parts. So for instance, um, rather than writing them everywhere, sort of, he, he wants to write them where they are most useful. Like in, in Rhythm of War now, we didn't have a Delena chapter yet, but we still see Delena through Navani's eyes or Kaladin's eyes in his chapters. And so he thinks it's like we get enough of him, oh, not, not, maybe not enough, but we get to see him. And we'll have to wait until later in the book to see his perfect perspective on things directly. But then it's probably also more valuable, more valuable to have it then. So, yeah. I think uh, Brandon thinks this way of approaching the books is a lot better in the long run. And like the alternative for him would be to make the books even longer or make or write even more books. And so some of them might not even move the plot forward. And so he thinks it's much better to just yeah take or turn down or yeah move around the plot lines and um yeah only have viewpoint characters that actually make sense, I guess. And I agree with him there. Yeah. I mean, my first instinct is like more books, writing longer <laughs> books. I'm okay with that. But honestly, <laughs> it makes sense because we're getting good perspective. I really am enjoying Navani's perspective mm, in yep. these chapters because like I said in the last episode, it feels like Navani's asking all the questions on our behalf, you know? Yep. <laughs> so I really like that. I feel like Dalinar would have very interesting input in his own like point of view, but... Navani's input, input and uh, inquisitiveness helps uh, kind of drive the plot forward in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, definitely. And like, I feel like uh, um, for people who have read The Wheel of Time, I think mm -hmm. it's very extreme there. Like it stretched out a lot in some places and like some books are basically, you can skip entire viewpoints because they're not really that necessary to to read and I like that Brandon is really saying, okay, let's focus on this stuff. And okay, Brandon also has the excuse, I guess, that he can write novellas when he wants mm -hmm. to deal yeah. with a side character or something. So that's another thing. Like he does, does still write more books and explore stuff, but they're not they're not fundamental to the book or anything or, or to the series. He just does it mm -hmm. for fun because he's Brandon. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a writer, so I'm not gonna pretend to be like he should do this and he should do that. Oh, yeah. I like Brandon's writing. I'm in love with his books. And so <laughs> I feel like they're in the best hands and I'm not going to criticize him for the choices that he makes for his own novels. <laughs> so <laughs> that's just my opinion. Yeah. And uh, one more thing maybe from the comments on the annotations, because some people ask Brandon about like the King's Drop and the thrill, what happened mm -hmm. to it and stuff like that. And Brandon acknowledged that, yes, a lot of people, even the betas and Peter were asking about him, uh, him about it, I think. And so he tried to put in more hints at what is going on there, mm -hmm. but he wanted to assure us that it's apparently more safe or safer than 
it might sound right now. So yeah, hmm. maybe we'll see some more of it <laughs> at some point. I hope so. I hope we get that I, explanation, I, I, at least a little bit. <laughs> I have my doubts, but maybe we'll see it. <laughs> I mean, that was a pretty big bomb that was dropped. Like, mm, it oh, was, it's yeah, at the yeah. bottom of the ocean. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah. All righty. Well, let's get into chapter 17. Um, our epigraph for chapter 17 is about the fused weapons. So these weapons, Navani describes, are a lightweight metal, um, kind of a construct that resists the blow from a shard blade. It also resists being soul cast, and it interferes with radiant abilities. And the fused, she posits, don't seem to be able to create too many of them because only a few of them wield these weapons. And at least by like the description of all of it and the general properties, I think it's very likely that that metal is aluminium that mm -hmm. they are talking about, that she's talking about. So um, one place where we saw the metal was Lashry Spear, for instance. But I like the way it worked, I personally thought that it's just aluminium. Like mm -hmm. it would have some other component, like it because it also has the gemstone side of it. So I feel like it at least is some interplay there between, um, or it's more fabric like in that instance. But yeah, it makes a lot of sense for them to have aluminium weapons at all. Or maybe it's also a god, another god metal could also be an option. Mm. Um, but from the description of it, I think it's very likely that it's aluminium. Yeah. yeah, I know that she doesn't go out and say that it is, but um, I'm, I was assuming maybe she just didn't want to make that assumption. Maybe she didn't have a chance to really research it. Maybe they haven't even gotten one of these weapons mm -hmm. to do any tests on or anything and all of their all of their um research on them is literally just watching them fight with them with the wind, wind runners so um maybe she i'm just assuming maybe she just didn't have all of the information at the time of this speech could be yeah that i i i hope i guess so I'd, I'd like to see them experimenting more with aluminium in this book because mm -hmm. like we know they use it on the fourth bridge to sort of i guess steer it or like uh, restrict its movement so or like or the movement of the fabrials so they transfer so yeah i feel like they should have at least have some inkling of like how aluminium works and we even in Oathbringer, hoyt gave them like uh, sheets of aluminium to mm -hmm. sheet them from the soil or from the soul casting from these, um, what were they called now? The secret spren, right? Uh, mm -hmm. We learned that. <laughs> so I feel like they definitely will do some investigation there and find stuff out about aluminum. If it even is aluminum, it might be a god metal, I guess. I think we're um, we're trying, I guess she's trying to lead us to believe that it's <laughs> aluminum, mm, but yeah. who knows? Mm hmm and then I also was wondering with the last sentence in that or last part of that um, epigraph, I'm wondering if maybe the reason they only equip themselves with the weapons is just because they don't want non-fused to be carrying them. Because mm -hmm. my little pet theory is that this weapon can kill them. And so maybe if they don't give these special fused weapons to non-fused they feel like they can control who has this upper hand, possibly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like maybe it even to some extent is like they are worried that the lesser singers would rise up against them in some mm -hmm. form. Like if there are some who are not that content, uh, I guess they might, or they don't want them to have weapons that can potentially kill them. Mm. Because like I don't think it would be um, like it's just a supply issue because we know that or like by WAP I think we know that you can soul cast stuff into aluminium. Mm -hmm. So I, I I don't think that's a problem or unless maybe you have to put in a lot of investiture and material maybe to convert stuff to aluminium that could also be the case. But um, yeah, I feel like that wouldn't necessarily be the issue. So. I think that's a good theory that it maybe is just like they don't want simply don't want more weapons that can kill them. <laughs> I don't I don't want to just assume that Navani has all the answers because we have seen oh, yeah. in all of her points of view that she's questioning things. So she's writing up this report to the coalition and everything about her 
observations, but we can't necessarily trust that as being like 100% fact. So yeah. just trying to be objective when I <laughs> read those. <laughs> All right. So chapter 17 is called a proposal. Not that kind of proposal. <laughs> um, Navani observes is Shalan and Dalinar creating the map. And Mink reacts in a very frightened way when it appears, which is really great that we got to see that. <laughs> and then um, Yasna and Wit also show up together and they're strategizing and uh, they show Mink all of the locations of their armies. Mink is suggesting that they consolidate their forces and focus on an easier fight in Emul uh, to regain more of their troops. Um before they start the fight for Alethkar. And uh, this is due to the fact that Dalinar reveals that he doesn't quite trust Taravangian. He is pretty sure that Taravangian is fighting for the enemy, Odium. Uh, so Mink asks Dalinar, why is he sharing all of the sensitive information with him? And Dalinar is just truthful. He says he just needs Mink to be on his side. He needs his expertise. Uh, Mink responds that he read Dalinar's book, and while he doesn't trust the Blackthorn, he can probably trust the man who wrote that book, which I really liked that. Um, Mink is then escorted out by Shalan and Adolin, and they ask Wit to bring in Ash and Talon. Um, they interview Ash and Talon a little bit more, because apparently Jas uh, Yastin has been, <laughs> <Yastin has> been <laughs> interviewing them, and um, they decide from some things that Ash says that they also have to prepare for a bit of a scuffle with the Shin. And just as a, like what I really liked about this chapter is seeing Delina and Shalan intact with the map there. Mm -hmm. Like that was really cool. And it, yeah, I just hope that that might be a hint at what sort of future technology might look like with like illumination based displays or something like that. That would be really cool. Yeah, that was a very, very cool scene. And I really liked when Navani's just watching it and she's got her notebook out and she's <laughs> writing all of her um, feelings about how it feels to watch this map, like kind of arise and everything. It was really neat. It did make me wonder a little how much control maybe others might have over the map as well. Like, does it require or can only Delena and uh, Shalan sort of manipulate it and like zoom in and out and... Um, Put, like they put up these um, glyphs that indicate how many troops there are. So I don't know whether it's like how much effort it also requires on their part, I guess. Um, I feel like it was Shalon actually manipulating it with her light waving. That was just my impression. Yeah. So like, because it, in one scene, like Delena, uh, it, it sounded like Delena was zooming in on like, uh, what was it? Ezir. Um, at mm -hmm. that point so maybe it's also just a matter of because Delna is sort of providing the connection and the actual map data i guess mm -hmm. you could say so he can control some of it and the illusion just sort of conforms to what he wants it to see um could also be the case yeah i thought that was a really neat uh feature of the map too like it doesn't <laughs> lose resolution as it zooms oh, yeah. in and they can actually see individual troops and that they were like the size of a sphere and stuff so i thought that was really really cool and i could mm -hmm. totally picture it being like a hologram in the whole room <laughs> and they're kind of like swimming in it kind of <laughs> yeah i thought that was really really cool it's like a really sci-fi look almost mm -hmm. <laughs> yes i am getting sci-fi vibes here <laughs> <laughs> and what i also found cool or interesting channels that how like they update it with every high storm and so it's mm -hmm. it's not limitless the technology or the magic i guess they actually have to because the knowledge of what rosha looks like actually comes from the storm father is mm -hmm. uh what i what i got from it and so they it's not like fully overpowered it's like it's pretty it's pretty powerful to just create a map like that at a uh, moment's notice, but it's not, they can't just do whatever that like they couldn't right. prepare a battle for it, I guess. It's not real time map. It's a, mm -hmm. a yeah. um, static 
map that they have one image of, and then they have to update it every time like troops move and stuff, I'm assuming. Although now I do wonder whether they maybe could somehow get the Stormfather to sort of, if there was a battle, if they could get him to sort of preside over the battle and then uh, some light viewer can just produce a map that's in real time then. That would be, that really, would be really cool. Yeah. I mean, that would really require... change like how they approach these battles. Yeah. And stuff. Maybe it wouldn't even necessarily require like the Stormfather. It could just be enough right? because it works on connection. Is mm. which, a side note, it's also cool that they really they use capital C connection here, and as they don't really know that it's a deeper Cosmere uh, mm -hmm. sort of concept, but it's cool that they okay. There's well, yeah, going. Navani is capitalizing mm -hmm. it in her head, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then she also mentions when Dalinar walks through the map that the stormlight kind of connects to him with a lowercase mm -hmm. c, and so yeah. she's like. She's using connection very specifically in in this. <laughs> yeah. And I guess it might be in some way, like moving on in the chapter, it might be some stuff they learned about the bondsmith from mm -hmm. Ash, maybe. Like maybe she mm -hmm. told them they are all about connection. Um, she's not very cooper cooperative, but right. maybe at least that she told them. I don't know. Definitely. Definitely possible, but I feel like she really didn't have a lot of information for them because they said mm -hmm. that she was like when Yasna would be interviewing her, she's like, I already told you everything. I don't know anything. I didn't pay <laughs> yeah. attention. And um, Yasna was kind of like, I can read between the lines. <laughs> and Shalash was kind of pouty in this chapter. Mm -hmm. I feel like she was very... Um, Kind of like she was crossing her arms and rolling her eyes when Yasna was asking her about Bondsmiths and about her dad and stuff. And she's kind of sounded like a little snooty. Like when um, Yasna was asking about like how they banished them to another realm of reality and, and Ash just goes, <laughs> yeah. it's a planet, not a realm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just got this, this like feeling from her that she was just kind of yeah. one of those snooty teen kids mm -hmm. <laughs> even though she's yeah, ancient might, yeah it might, i guess it might be some form of like how she probably was not that old when they got turned into her or mm -hmm. became cognitive shadows so it might be some of that manifesting as well because like she was still pretty young and pretty pretty mm -hmm. um yeah, like, I guess, I, I don't think she was a teenager, but uh, at least on the younger side, so that could be an aspect. Well, she's also working with her father, so that might oh, yeah. have had some kind of a power dynamic there where, mm -hmm. you know, she kind of feels like she needs to rebel a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And I guess it must be really hard for her in general because, like, her madness sort of is that she doesn't like depictions of herself and then when people worship her so i guess it must be really hard for her to be among all these warren people or like not necessarily in the warrens but all the others as well who worship her like it's part of their religion so i guess it's that's also an aspect of it that she simply hates being there right now because all these people yeah I, it's probably just a combination of everything, like her, just her personality in general, plus all of that that you said. I I can definitely see that. I don't want to talk bad about her because I actually really like her <laughs> as a character. I, I oh, yeah, yeah. find the heralds to be extremely interesting, but I just found it really funny in this chapter how she was kind of like, <laughs> I don't know, just felt a little snooty. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. And by the way, because you noticed, uh, mentioned how she says like that Brace and Ashen aren't really uh, aren't other planes of existence or anything, but planets mm -hmm. uh, with in combination with like last week's chapter where we saw the telescopes, mm -hmm. they, I guess they're going to find out soon that there are um, hopefully that there are planets and uh, you can actually see them in the sky and I wonder if more detail the reason than... why they're making these telescopes is because of the information from Ash about them being planets. Could Maybe be, yeah. she gave them enough of a push to develop the telescopes 
because now they're like, oh, there's planets? Like, this is a mm-hmm. new thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, they do have access to Shadesman now, or easier mm-hmm. access to Shadesman now, so they might already have sent some expeditions other also, also in these directions. So maybe they also want to sort of cross-reference what it looks like from Rosha in the physical realm with what it looks like in the cognitive mm-hmm. realm. I'll see that happening. Maybe so. they're like mapping it out or something. Mm-hmm. That'd be really interesting. I wonder if Shalon and Dalinar could make a map of Shades- Shadesmar. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. <laughs> hmm. I guess they... Or what if they're going to use the telescopes and they can look at the surface of Braze and Ashen. Sorry, my dog is barking. Just in case you hear her. Um, they could look at the surface and then Shalon can light weave a map. I don't know if Dalinar would be able to use connection to create such a detailed mm. map of those, but that would be kind of interesting. I hmm, I guess maybe for Brace it might work if like Talon spent a lot of time on mm. Brace. So it might be possible for him to connect to Talon in some form and use that maybe to create a map. That'd be that'd be kind of cool. But uh, shades I don't know. Like we we see the high storm passing in um in like Oathbringer in Shadesma. Mm-hmm. And I feel like or I or almost feel like at that or when that happens, or when the high storm is passing, the Stormfather is almost or much more in the physical than the cognitive realm. Mm-hmm. So maybe he isn't capable of doing that, but I wouldn't put it, like, I wouldn't say it's impossible that he can do that. Could definitely help them as well, with like, if they can also see, like, troop movements and stuff in Shadesmar, mm-hmm. because I'm pretty sure Audium will also move troops around in um, in the cognitive. And it was very sad to see poor Talon there. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's not not really able to converse with anyone. But I thought it was really sweet when um, Wit came back with Ashentown <laughs> and he was being very respectful with them and stuff. I thought that was really nice. And that even Ash kind of takes care of Town. Like, mm-hmm. they all respect him so much. So I thought that was really nice. I'm hoping that something can happen to help him talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um actually there was a relatively common theory, I think, at the like when they when we first learned that they were learning stuff from the Heralds, um, that it might like we th- or some people or people thought that it also was Talon that we learned stuff from. Mm. And they theorized because an Oathbringer at the very end in uh, the Battle of Thalen Field, they um uh, when Delina opens the perpendicular- perpendicularity, um, Talon actually is lucid for a few minutes or at, for as long as the perpendicularity is open. Hmm. So people were theorizing that maybe whenever he does that, Talon might get some lucidity and they might get info out of him. But I guess either they haven't tried that yet because they wouldn't really know because we did, like, they weren't all there to see it is i think it actually was from ash's viewpoint that we saw that so who knows um but if they tried it maybe it didn't work out after all but i just found like this chapter confirms to me that they either haven't tried it or i, I guess they just haven't tried yet because mm-hmm. otherwise i guess nobody would have said it plus i think it would be a lot of work to have Dalinar open a perpendicularity just oh, yeah. so that Yasna could talk to Talon. <laughs> Although I wouldn't put it past Yasna to kind of bully him into oh, yeah. trying it. So definitely, yeah, like you said, maybe they just haven't even thought of trying that, mm-hmm. or they didn't connect the two or something. Yeah, and as far as Wit uh, treating them like that is concerned, we we know that at least Ash knows him by the name Medius, mm. Medius or whatever. How we how you pronounce it, but um, uh, so either uh, I guess they know him to some uh, or to a some personal level, level I guess. Um, and he's more like he knows them, and so he treats mm-hmm. them like he knows what they went through because he saw them. I guess he also was able to witness them getting or losing their sanity because he knew mm-hmm. what they were like when they weren't heralds yet. 
And I feel like that also ha um, is a factor in him treating them like he does. Yeah, for sure. And it's kind of interesting that from Navani's viewpoint, they're not really sure why he treats them like that, but mm -hmm. they appreciate yeah. it. I thought that was neat because we know, but they don't. So yeah. <laughs> that's one thing I like about these chapters with kind of new viewpoints is because it gives us a fresh look at what is going on in the actual characters' minds rather than, you know, right. us just trying to put the puzzle together. We're seeing them try to put the puzzle together. <laughs> Definitely. And I like how she talks about Widow Hoyt in general here because, like, she says, oh, um, he might put up a facade or, like, uh, a, a personality, I guess, for matching for every monarch mm -hmm. because with Eloka he never was that mysterious acting and now with Yasna he is. Mm -hmm. And I really like that. Like, that's a very hard thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, with Velikar, he was more like a jester. Like, he was mm -hmm. teasing people to kind of, probably just to put Elikar at ease, I guess. And then with Yasna, he's acting more like an advisor almost, or like he's giving her advice and they're in these secret conversations and stuff. And people are picking up on that. And I guess there are rumors that Yasna and Hoyt are in some form of closer relationship. Um, yeah, either a I, couple or just yeah. <laughs> I don't want to like perpetuate the use of this one, but I, <laughs> I, I kind of hate slash love the term yasnoid. Like it's horrible. It sounds awful. I hate it, but at the same time, it's like really easy to say. <laughs> it is. But um, <laughs> honestly, my impression of both of these characters, knowing how different they are and they're their own people. I don't feel like they're in a relationship, like a romantic relationship. I could mm -hmm. definitely see them being like a casual fleeing. They're probably like together, but they both have their own motivations and they're both very strong willed people. I feel like they can use each other to further their own ends, almost like a symbiotic like relationship. Mm -hmm. But um, Yasta, in my opinion, doesn't seem like the type of person to get into a serious relationship to the point where she's excluding anything else. And especially not wit like Hoyd. He he doesn't seem like he would, you know, he has all these grandiose goals that we actually don't really know. I don't feel like he would just, you know, have a girlfriend and then know that he might have to abandon her at some point. Actually, I think we have I can't remember where, but we have Hoyt talking about how he doesn't do relationships anymore, really, like because he knows how they'll end with him mm -hmm. being immortal. And uh, yeah, that it doesn't strike me, or how it doesn't strike me as a character who would just um, yeah. enter a relationship like that with a normal mortal, I guess. Or I guess Yasna isn't quite. Such it's a not normal, normal but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I also don't I see Wit being immortal and not having any kind of relationships with people, especially Yasna. Like, she's amazing. Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think it, Hoyt would just keep them at a certain distance and, like, mm. it, he'd still keep mysteries even from Yasna. Like, he wouldn't just tell Yasna, yeah, okay, there's a planet called Ho uh, Yolen and there's this and this going on there. I don't feel like he'd do that in for yeah. her. Um, but it, I guess it could also be a factor that he now has bonded as Bren. And so mm -hmm. he is tangled up more in Rosha than anywhere else. So he just thinks, okay, yeah, I can talk to Yasna and give her some advice and uh, let her know some stuff. And I don't want to like assume that he's a bad guy or anything, even though I we can't really make any assumptions about him at the time. But um, I don't feel like he is just using her maliciously or anything. Like, like I don't feel like he's just getting in a relationship with her just to be able to be close because he's already in a position as the king's wit or the queen's wit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I don't know. I think rumors are just rumors, especially since oh, yeah. Yasna is now in the public eye even more. And I I wouldn't put too much into it, in my opinion. I 
honestly, I feel like Yasna would even perpetuate such rumors, maybe, because, like, okay, if they want to think that, then they can think that as long as she can further her own goals and mm-hmm. uh, use it as a pretense, I guess, to spend time with Hoyt and talk I'm to sorry. him about <laughs> My dog. <laughs> Um, yeah, but it also was fun like to just see that from Navani's perspective because it also characterizes Yasna again for us where she talks about how, yeah, okay, it's like she wants to, or like she normally feel okay talking about these things, um, like if it was a more intimate relationship and stuff like that. But then again, it's Yasna who mm-hmm. she'd be, who'd she be talking to. So it makes sense that she doesn't really know what's going on there. Uh, I really like that perspective as well. I agree. I like Navani. Oh, yeah. <laughs> She's a good mom. Mm-hmm. Also, it's also fun to see her perspective on Wit or Hoyt mm-hmm. here because she talks about how he just sits down with kings and queens and um, doesn't really care much for it or like, feels very comfortable there. And I guess, yes, Navani, he would feel quite comfortable there. He's, he would have or could have become a god if he wanted to. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> he's kind of he probably is kind of refreshing to them. He's not like bowing and scraping and <laughs> oh, yeah. And and they know that he's got information and stuff. So they know that he's something special. So I don't think they're going to, you know, mm-hmm. yell at him for not being respectful <laughs> or something. <laughs> I feel like they're a little past that. <laughs> And then Yasna has really, I'm so happy that we finally got to see her. Um, She has some interesting things going on as queen, um, wanting to free all the slaves and everything. This is so exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. To be honest, I always was a little surprised that uh, the Alethi even had, I guess, normal slaves because they had the parchment. It was feel a little weird to me that they would need normal slaves, I guess, because all the other societies do without them. Um, yeah, it just kind of was weird, uh, but it is very exciting that she wants to get rid of it and I guess wants to move or make the society more liberal and uh, yeah, just yeah, doing away with slavery is a very good move, <laughs> at least from yeah. our perspective. I feel um, like right. slavery with their society being so class oriented, like the nons and the dons and dark eyes, light eyes and all of that. I feel like it almost follows that they would start like some kind of slavery and have it in their society. And I'm not surprised that Yasna wants to abolish it completely. I'm Mm -hmm. just surprised at her timing with this whole apocalypse and everything going on. And she wants to bring this up to all the high princes and, and tell them basically like, let, let all the people go. (laughs) It just seems like bad timing. Although I don't want to advocate for like slavery, obviously (laughs) horrible. I'm just surprised that Dalinar wasn't the one who brought it up and that Yasna was, because I feel like Dalinar would be more anti-slavery at this time than Yasna would be. Yes. In general, like, and I feel like Della in principle agree, or like he even says he agrees with Yasna that it would be good, but I also feel like Dalna is much more of a traditionalist in a way. And mm-hmm. like he while he is bringing about a lot of change and like as Yasna points out, he himself wrote a book only, uh, like he wrote a book as a man mm-hmm. and that's like, wouldn't have been believable even a year ago for them. Um, so I wonder, oh no, I don't think so, I wonder, but uh, I feel like it would be in character for Dalena to keep with like their tradition and not necessarily want to change too much about it, at least not like such as such a drastic measure. As Yasna wants to do it. Yeah. And I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, Yasna, I've, like, she ta- also talks about how she wants the Ardens to no longer be slaves. And mm-hmm. um, I feel like she really uh, she has ulterior motives with it. Like, of course, she would free the slaves, but I also feel like she would, or she sees the use in um, freeing the Ardens from ownership and letting them yeah, do their own thing, I guess. Yeah, and with her 
saying, oh, I don't want to dismantle the church. Um, I think she kind <laughs> of does. So <laughs> maybe she's she's bringing this up as like her ulterior motive is reducing the church's power over everything. Yeah, I think, yeah, she would want to reduce its power, but I don't necessarily, necessarily think she would want to dismantle it completely mm -hmm. because the way Yasna generally acts is that, like, okay, she's fine with people being religious and um, she, it just isn't for her in a way. Like, she, she doesn't really, like, in Grey of Kings and the other books, she doesn't really want to convert people, uh, convert people to her atheism. Instead, she just lets them be and, mm -hmm. yeah, she's fine with her own philosophy. So I wouldn't say she wants to dismantle the church. Yeah, but she definitely has a reason for wanting to free the slaves oh, yeah. beyond just her morality, which her morality is do what's best for the most mm -hmm. amount of people. Right. So that's I mean, that's what she says in this chapter. So I feel like by freeing the ardents, she's able to help them kind of make different decisions rather than just following what like their owners or whatever they're called would tell them to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, especially with like the Ardens, I feel like uh, she would be able to leverage them as resources because right now they might be bound up in the duty save for a certain light eyes or something like that. Like if there's one Lord who has, I don't know, 10 Ard Ardens who do just his bookkeeping or something like that, mm -hmm. They are suddenly free to con uh, commit to the war effort and help them figure out maybe how to get back at Ethica or something like that. And yeah, I feel like like she she or, or she must think that it's a good move in general, I guess, to move away from salary. But I don't feel like she would do it if it didn't serve a higher purpose for herself or like for her country. Yeah, I. It's kind of it's kind of tough because we know that all of these different people, Dalinar, Yasna, even Navani, everybody has their own goals. And now we've seen from their point of view all of their different goals. But they are moral people. Mm -hmm. Dalinar wasn't and then basically like made a full 180 and went the other way, <laughs> you know, from Blackthorn to Dalinar, the the bondsmith. So it's kind of it's kind of tough to really say exactly what their motivations are for anything. Yeah. I mean, I want to say they're freeing the slaves because it's right. And <laughs> that is a part of it. They're freeing mm -hmm. the slaves, or Yasin wants to free the slaves because it's the right thing to do. But there's also other reasons. <laughs> and then yeah, even but, Dalinar was like, I don't know about this. And she's like, you can feel free to oppose me. As a matter of fact, that would be better because then it would make it, would, you know, make a scene that like you and I are not, you know, always yeah. furthering our ends. Like I'm not your puppet. So. I don't know. That, it's very just, well written. <laughs> it, it is, yeah. And just in general, it's, it's cool to finally see Yasna as queen and mm -hmm. act like a queen here. Like, you can really feel that she, or see that she is fit for the position of queen mm -hmm. and will change her country or, like, I guess her, her people at least, because she doesn't really have a country right now. But yeah. yeah. Her people in exile, they said. It's mm -hmm. It's really sad. And then with this whole chapter, it was about planning out their next move. And Dalinar really wanted to free Alethkar, but he can't do that while they have Teravangian and while they're have they have less forces because they have another fight going on in I can't pronounce it, em, Emur. Emul? Emur Emul. <laughs> yeah. That place. Or Emul? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so when they brought Mink in, the whole reason for Mink to be there really, obviously, was for his expertise and everything. But Dalinar mm -hmm. wanted him to say what he was thinking. Basically, yeah. he kind of wanted to, like, he was he was already planning to go and do that, but he really wanted to save Alethkar. And then Mink comes in. He's like, "No, you should do this other thing." 
Yeah. And so that kind of like confirms. And uh, I really love, like in general, I really like Mink as a character. It's always good to see to see him back, and because he acts really nonchalantly around all these other people, and like, oh yeah, you're the Blackthorn. But uh, I guess after reading his book, uh, he he isn't the Blackthorn anymore, even to the Mink. Mm -hmm. Um, But just in general, how he just says, okay, no. That won't work. You better not get back Alethka. Like he's mm-hmm. finally somebody who's really willing to just say no to Delina because mm-hmm. so far he basically always got his way. And yeah, that's I bet it's also part of the I guess shared history in a way, because of all the war that Delina waged against Herders. But um yeah. He had two of my favorite lines in this chapter too. <laughs> like the first one I loved when he's, he was asking Dalinar why they have so many troops in this South something or another. And Dalinar gives him this reason. And Mink is like, yeah, I'm sure that that works on the coalition. <laughs> but what's the real reason? And I really liked that part because he's, he's very honest and that's what Dalinar really respects. And then the other line that I really loved was, when he says, when he finally agrees to, you know, kind of join them and work with them, he says, I do not trust the Blackthorn, but perhaps I can trust the man who would write the words you did, which mm-hmm. I loved that. Cause it's a, it's a viewpoint from a new kind of new character giving us what they feel about Dalinar, like a real true account of how they feel about Dalinar's change. So yeah, Mink had a really great part in this chapter. Yeah, definitely. And I, I I personally agree with his assessment and like how what he suggested because I feel like okay right Alethka is the homeland and I can totally understand why they'd want to get it back, um, but like yes now also sees reason where, with what he says it doesn't really make sense right now to take it back with Tarantian being there, mm-hmm. and also I feel like it just strategically in general even if if Tarantian wasn't there it isn't the most practical or helpful target because basically it's the easternmost country so it's pretty isolated in a way mm-hmm. in that way like uh, they still have Yakavet as a, as a sort of barrier in between um, Alethka and the rest of the world and so in, in my opinion at least it would make more sense to yeah attack somewhere near more near Asia because mm-hmm. otherwise like especially north of Asia or the the, the empire is um that's basically all belonging to or part of Odium's forces right now and it feels like a perfect staging ground for them mm-hmm. uh, so yeah yeah I, like- I had to pull up the map when i was reading this chapter <laughs> because i don't have it memorized <laughs> but mm-hmm. um it when you look at the sizes even just like the geographical size of alethkar versus M M I don't know how to pronounce it. That <laughs> place, that any place. <laughs> um, like it just seems to make sense that you would go after the smaller mm-hmm. one, they like almost a guaranteed victory, and use the new troops that you get from from that and then attack a larger force rather than going yeah. directly after. I mean, I'm not a s- strategist <laughs> or anything, obviously, but makes sense to me yeah yeah like it just doesn't seem particularly prudent right now especially because it's such a long way even from like the border of Yakovit to Kolina so mm-hmm. even just going straight for the capital wouldn't work out for them I feel so right. focusing on the smaller target and really consolidating um a or the Asish empire again I feel it's like just the right choice at that moment so yeah but it was interesting to learn at that uh, in this chapter and this scene where um, the Ming talks about how um, Isha is doing in mm-hmm. that other place where he's Tuka, As yeah, the Tuka. God, God priest. I think it's Tuka, the country where he poses Tessim, the God priest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently, he isn't doing anything against the singers right now, which is. Mm. But yeah, I guess they were hoping that they were going to sandwich the singers between them. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, but that's not going on. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> but it's definitely cool at least to know that they all know now that it's Isha who is uh, the God King. So, mm-hmm. um, 
guess that's secret. Well, we got a lot of information about where all of the different enemies are. Like they talked oh, about yeah. the Skybreakers, they talked about Ishar, they talked about the Shin. Um, yeah. Who else did they talk about? Obviously, the Singers. Oh, the yeah, Dustbringers. Tell, tell, the dust they mentioned right. the Dustbringers too. So it's kind of an info dump for Mink, which is also <laughs> an info dump for us, like catching us up and where everybody is. Um, so that was a really good use of this chapter too. Yeah. And kind of brought up some other questions. It did definitely for me, especially like that, um, as far as the Dustbringers are concerned, mm -hmm. like, uh, Navani says it's like, they're almost all, um, often at the brink of rebellion almost. So I wonder, is that just Terrenchen's doing because he, mm -hmm. because he had the first Dustbringer and so he has them all under his, um, control now, or is it just because they are Dustbringers and they want to rebel? I don't know. And their yeah. friends are more inclined to do that. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Um, I think her name was Malata or Malata. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, she might be kind of like how Shalon is over the Lightweavers. She might be over the Dustbringers and kind of teaching them since she was kind of the first. So maybe she's influencing them, just being like kind of their leader or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could definitely. And like she is under the, or like she's part of the diagram. So mm -hmm. she might just be acting on Terrentian's behalf there and like saying, yeah. okay, that's bring us. Uh, maybe make some noise. And yeah. Yeah. And then they're talking about the Shin as well and how the Shin have all of these different um, secrets and they've practiced with those, the Herald's Blades and. Um, they put a lot of emphasis on their religion with the heralds and the prophecies. Even Beth in the previous chapter mentioned how they put a lot of faith in the prophecies and the death rattles and things. So they're kind of a force to be reckoned with now. Mm -hmm. And like we know from history, uh, I don't know if it's in the book section or if it's just swaps, but we know that the um, Shin did some conquering in the past. Like there were several Shin invasions, mm. which where we do know that is by Bob that they used the honor blades there. So I'm kind of, I kind of fear that they, the Shin might start a sort of misguided attack on like an independent attack on both the singers and the human coalition, maybe because they also like block out all the, they can't send any in any spies or anything like that. So mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, they shoot arrows at any windrunners that try to go in there and stuff. So who knows what they're up to? Like, they yeah. could be planning something. And uh, that's kind of what Ash was alluding to, is that they're they're planning something. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And this also was really cool to see the, or learn that Ash apparently was in Shinova for some time. Mm -hmm. That's just a cool detail there. Yeah. And, and oh, I wish she was doing I, it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't remember the exact line, but she was talking about like, as at first they, uh, I don't know, but, uh, and then they started worshiping me. And so she didn't like that at all. And it was mm -hmm. kind of fun. Yeah. And I really liked that we got some more description of the two from Navani's oh, viewpoint, because right. she described Ash as looking almost makabaki, but she has some shin features, like her eyes are more shin so she doesn't have that epicanthic fold on her eye and uh then she was talking about town and his description and stuff so i love reading descriptions of characters <laughs> so whenever that comes up i'm like write notes down <laughs> yeah i can't imagine why you might be interested in descriptions <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah definitely uh it's they it's also cool again to see the characters noticing these things about the heralds and i guess they already know at this point that they are from ashen but like that's basically proof okay mm -hmm. they aren't from our planet or at least haven't been uh, or haven't developed or i guess evolved on our planet to have these epicantic faults mm -hmm. uh, how it uh, worked out so yeah yeah or or like maybe they were thinking like they came from before everybody kind of separated mm -hmm. into different um different countries and different realms and things i, I do mean, wonder mm -hmm. how how come the shin 
have what they describe as shin eyes, but the other nations don't. Is that just because of like growing up on Roshar or is it because of like interbreeding or something? Like, yeah, I don't I know. It's, it's sort of like for the shin kept it because they were very isolated then mm-hmm. and didn't really intermix. And the others, I think it was some interbreeding and some because we also get yeah. the uh, Iriali who came later mm-hmm. to Rosha, but I don't mm-hmm. like we don't know at which time frame that is. But yeah, so I I don't know. I, and then the, her 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 Daisy and have like the stone nails mm-hmm. and Horn Eater has their own weird genetics going on. Actually, do, do we ever have a description of what a Pashen or like a singer eye looks like? Like, do they have epicanthic folds or don't they? I don't know. Hmm. Actually, huh. I'll go search maybe. And yeah. <laughs> a lot of people like to picture them more like alien and crab like mm-hmm. and stuff, but I know. I was, I don't know, on Facebook or something, and the artist who draws the in the inside artwork for the books, Ben McSweeney, mm-hmm. and I think he mentioned something about how the um the Parshendi actually look more humanoid because there has to be some kind of an attraction between them to actually start interbreeding. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so they actually have a lot of human um human looking mm-hmm. features. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. But yeah, when when the, whenever a chapter has some kind of description of a character, I always like kind of zoom in on that detail. <laughs> Especially with people who are not necessarily from Roshar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess especially at that kind in particular because yeah. <laughs> like the Irialian uh, what are they called the Babathanums? I think mm. I look different as well as like the blue veins on their skin. Sorry, my dog. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that's about it from you for this chapter. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that there's a lot of more things that we're missing, especially with all the strategy and talking about the different countries and stuff. But uh, if you have any thing to comment on, please <laughs> comment on this video or this what do they upload them as? <laughs> uh, podcast? Uh, podcast. Yes, that's yeah. <laughs> the word that I was looking for. Comment on this podcast. <laughs> um, you can find all of these preview chapters at 9 a.m. Eastern time on tour.com. And we'll also let you know on 17thshard.com right at 9 when they come out. Also, audiobook chapters are released on Brandon Sanderson's YouTube channel. And you can discuss all of your thoughts with us on our discord on the forums in the comments wherever we'd love to talk to you about them (laughs) and we'll see you next time bye bye (laughs) oh hey look good timing (laughs) just in time we literally just Oh, stopped. Stop for 55 <laughs> minutes? Come on, guys. Yeah, I, I yeah but there was a lot of stopping. To, uh, yeah, but I also didn't expect this one to even get this long.